You know, uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Fresh Faith. Fresh Faith in a Hostile World. Where in the world did you get that title from? Honestly, it came from this section today that we're going to be going through. You could probably summarize this section today with one word. Pain. Pain. It's not a word we really celebrate that much, is it? We're like, yeah, I'm not really interested in pain. Can I be dismissed? Right? Pain. It's really, how do we handle pain? That's kind of the question that Peter's managing today. You know, I wrote down a quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences. But he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a dead world. C.S. Lewis. Basically recognizing that God uses pain to help us move. God uses suffering to help us adjust and learn and grow. You're like, does this really apply to Mother's Day? And then the mothers are like, have you been a mother? Right? The reality is, as we move through Scripture, and we're just going section by section... We've now hit the spot where Peter's saying, I've got some conclusions. I'm trying to pull some things together for all of us to learn how to face suffering. The real question he's answering, how should I handle it if it's unfair, this suffering? Maybe another way to say it is, if my faith is fresh, then what is my response when I could actually use the word, hey, that's not fair. What's my response going to be? Okay. So let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 22. The ushers are going to be coming forward. They've got some Bibles in their hands. We're just going to be walking verse by verse through this. So just raise your hands. We'll get a Bible to you if you need one. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 22. As we're about ready to go to the first point here, how many of you noticed we have new bulletins? Yeah. So, okay. Just a few detectives in the audience. All right, look. We've got some new bulletins. And just so you know, at the very outside, there is a... uh, There is a sermon note and it does tear off. So if you're like, wow, it's attached to the bulletin now. What do I do? It's perforated. So you can just peel that apart. Okay. You don't have to, but it's for your tearing pleasure. Okay. Uh, Larry and Laura have been working on that for, I don't know how long, probably a month and uh, did a great job just pulling together some new graphics and some new structure. As we get more and more bulletins we're doing, this is just a little easier for us to get prepared, but it also brings kind of a fresh look to you guys too. So for those of you who haven't been on the website, here's another advertisement. This looks exactly like this comes right off of the web. So Laura's just been doing a great job pulling everything together for us graphically. Okay. All right. Enough, a little advertisement. Here we go. Point number one, how is my fresh faith supposed to respond to pain? First, treat all righteously, even when mistreated. Treat all righteously, even when mistreated. Well, that sounds like a really big order. Yeah, let's walk through this together. He says in verse 8, he starts out of chapter 3. Finally, all of you, finally, you know, the kind where you say, Like, okay, that was a long list. We just got to the end of it, right? So what's the list? Well, if you go back, remember he was speaking to us in the middle of chapter 2. He's saying, hey, for those of you who are serving under any kind of government, in other words, all of you, you need to be reflecting on how you respond to your government being in charge. And for those of you who have employers, and for those of you who are married, husbands and wives, here's some responsibilities for you. And now he gets back to and he says, finally... 
all of you. So I'm bringing it all back together. I'm putting my arms around the everybody, right? So it's like, that's me. Everybody say that with me. That's me. Like one more time. That's me. Okay, he's talking to us. He's talking to each of you. Finally, all of you have, and now he goes into a list of five things we need to have. Have unity of mind. Unity of mind. This is a harmony in your thinking. That's really what the Greek origin there has. It's like this harmony, this this getting alongness, this same thinking. Okay? So we're going to use that word same here a lot. So same thinking, that's the first one. Second, sympathy. You know, like, I've been through the pain you're going through. I understand. I've been there. Have sympathy. Grasp what they're going through and have feelings that say, I get it. Same feelings. So first is the same thinking. Second is the same feelings. Third, brotherly love. This is literally the word Philadelphia. It basically means to care for everyone and anyone, regardless of who they are. They're created beings from God Almighty. Turn and love the one next to you. Brotherly love. Like, have the same love for everyone. Not just for this one that I know or that one that I know, but for everyone, whoever you're coming across, share that love with them. Same mind, same feelings, same love. Then it says, a tender heart. A tender heart. Literally, in the original language, this wasn't saying the word heart. It's saying, like, inner guts. It's saying, have this this gut-wrenching inner sense of passion and concern for those around you. Hurt for them, long with them. Let it call you to action. It, It really speaks to willingness. It's like the same willingness with everybody. I'm willing to get involved. When you see someone in pain, when you see someone laughing, when you see them living life, you just have this this gut-wrenching sense of concern and care for them. Tender heart. It's the same word that's used in Ephesians 4. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. We walk past that so fast. It sounds like this soft little thing. He's really saying, be kind one to another, gut-wrenching, unbelievable, sold-out care for. You hearing it? It's a big deal, okay? Tender-hearted and humble mind. This humility. Basically have the same position. You before me. This idea of, I'm not going to put my priorities first. I'm going to seek to place you first. It's this, what we would call in our house, nice fights. You know, the, no, no, seriously, you first. No, really, I'll get it for you. You know, like when you're going to open a door and you're like, there's three people and they're all trying to hold the handle and nobody's going through. You know what I mean? It's like, no, seriously, go ahead. I got it. No, well, then I get the next one. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it is. It's this idea of, I'm not here to walk in and go, who's opening my door? You know? And then somebody opens and you're like, you should have. Now the next one. You know, like, that's that's not what we're about. It's how can we serve one another? How can we be thinking about each other, caring for each other, leaning on each other, wanting for each other? It's passion for the other people in all levels. Same mind, same thinking, same feeling, same love, same willingness, same position. Have that. That's Peter's command through God Almighty as he's inspiring this word. 
Just have those things. That's all. Oh, here's a few things you shouldn't have, by the way. Verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Evil for evil. That's like they hurt you, so you hurt them. Action for action. You know, the eye for eye, tooth for tooth kind of a you hurt me, I'll hurt you. And then the reviling for reviling is I'm going to heap upon you hurting, hurting words stacked up constantly. That's reviling. Okay. It's this idea of lots of meanness with the tongue. It's saying, don't respond with that. Do not turn around and defend yourself. Do not turn around and start heaping it back on them. Watch your words. Watch your action. Don't let either of them mirror how you're being hurt. Are you hearing it? Do not repay evil for evil. Do not. I'm telling you, this was a big challenge for me this week. As I went through it, I just started realizing how much in every little way you get to be about how dare you kind of a phrase in your mind. When somebody says something mean, you got to defend yourself a little bit. What are you talking about? You can't talk to me that way. Or, hey, wait a minute. That's not really appropriate. And all of a sudden we're spending all this time correcting ourselves. I'm smiling because my wife and I are looking at each other going, yeah, this one's really hitting us between the eyes. We, uh, we had a few moments this week where we learned verse nine. Unfortunately, they were yesterday afternoon. So we'll be working on that next week. It says, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. On the contrary, bless. This is literally a verb that means to say good things about them. It, it comes from the Greek word eulogeo or eulogeo. Can you hear the word in it? Eulogy. It's like when you stand up at a funeral and you're saying good things about the person, no matter how bad they've been, you're trying to find a few good things that you can say about them to say some blessing about them. Okay? It's saying, say a blessing about them. Have a eulogy over them. Doesn't mean kill them first. It, it, it means really think about some good things about them and try to pick out those. Maybe here's another way to say it. The image of God stamped on each and every one of us. Yes, it's smeared by sin, but look for the pieces of the image of God in each and every one you're struggling with, especially the ones that are bringing the evil or the reviling, the piling up the nasty words. Look for ways that you can say, now there's a little snippet of God in them. Look at that. Bring it out. Talk about it. Talk about it with them. Talk about it with yourself. Don't talk about how much of a jerk they are. Trust me, the bless isn't going to come real fast on the end of that talk. Talk about that little snap snippet of the image of God you're seeing in them. Okay? Bless. For this, for to this you were called. That is your calling. That you may be, that you may obtain a blessing. That you may obtain a blessing. God has something for you and for me. If we speak well of other people, it's basically saying, don't take care of yourself. Let God do that. Don't take care of your dignity. Don't take care of your honor. Let God manage that. You take care of their honor. You work for the person next to you. Look to the person to your left or right and say, I'm working for your honor. Go ahead. You're like, this is lame. 
I'm a visitor here. I don't know what you're doing. We do this a lot. We talk to each other. Okay. Why? Because seriously, this is a one another type passage. We need to be here for each other's honor. To the left and to the right isn't that big a deal. That's usually somebody you came with. Okay. We could have you look front and back. That'd be a little bit more aggressive, right? That's what it's about. It's about how do we care for one another? Let God do the caring. Okay. There's a blessing coming. What kind of blessing? He goes into a little bit of an answer here. He says, four, and now he quotes from the Psalms. Whoever desires to love life and see good days. Whoever desires to love life and see good days. Anybody desire that? Love life and see good days? That should be unanimous. If it doesn't, come talk to me afterwards. We need to chat a little bit. Loving life, like this is awesome. Seeing good days. Wow, it's going really well. Like who doesn't want that? Right? Okay, now that we got that clear, so now we're back to all of us, that's me. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. It's watch your mouth. Okay, that's what he's saying. Watch your mouth. Be careful. Now, remember in the Hebrew, we talk about this in the Hebrew, they do poetry by saying one phrase and saying another phrase that kind of follows it, a parallelism. So now it's being quoted from Psalms. So this is a Hebrew poem being quoted. So you're seeing two different ways to watch your mouth. It's watch your tongue. It's watch your lips. It's watch everything that has words coming off of it, right? Then he says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Lord, may my actions, may my hands and my feet actually be about honoring you and taking care of other people. May I be about that. If I'm watching my lips, if I'm watching my action, God will bring a blessing. It says verse 12, for purpose statement now. So I did all that for this reason. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Okay. This is for those of you who like big words in poem form. This is called an anthropomorphism. It's these ideas of human form being applied to our God who is spirit. And it's talking about his face. It's talking about his ears. It's talking about his eyes. Okay. It's saying God somehow aware. So I'm going to use that human form of eyes. That's how we become visually aware. Ears, he's listening. He's knowing what's being said. He's all about what's going on in your life. He can hear. He can see. He is fully involved and engaged. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. In other words, there's favor from God. The ears are open to their prayers. He's hearing what you're saying, what your concerns are, what your hurts are, what your thoughts are. He wants to communion with you and talk with you. He didn't create you so that he could send you off like a top spinning somewhere else in life and have nothing to do with you. He wants an intimate, personal relationship with you. But if you choose to walk away from him, if you choose to do what's not honoring his character, then the face of the Lord is against. That's one of the curse elements, if you will. The opposite of a blessing is a curse. It's losing out on that opportunity for relationship with him. So blessing, there's this opportunity for blessing. Question, what kind of blessing? Well, maybe here's four blessings that you could have. 
Money. Cool car. Huge house. Is that what he's saying? It isn't, right? This isn't a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. What it's not is the thing you hear a lot when you turn on the TV. Like, follow Jesus, he'll give you the million-dollar home. Show me that. It's not there. That's not what God's saying. He's saying, I've got a blessing for you, and it's way bigger than that, because that goes away. I've got a blessing for you, and it's way deeper impacting than that. I've got a blessing for you because it lasts for all eternity. I've got a blessing for you, and it's going to rock your world. I've got a blessing for you that's going to touch your heart, and it's going to leave you different forever. Do you want a little piece of that? Do you want to know who God is? It's time to start following after him and watch him rock your world. When we're talking about a God who blesses, we're talking about him coming in and touching your heart and giving you an insight and giving you a passion and giving you an understanding of him so that it's never the same again. Now, for some of you, you're sitting there going, yeah, I, I'd rather have the house. And, and there's like, really gut check yourself in the moment. Because honestly, we can get very caught up in the stuff of this world. We can get very caught up in, bless me now. And what's that all about? Honor me. Lift me up. The blessing that God has for you honors him, but gets you complete fulfillment. I guarantee you this, total fulfillment. That's what scripture promises you. Come to know your savior Know Jesus Christ and trust him and lean on him and walk with him. Do what he's asking you to do. Be who he's asking you to be. Total fulfillment. Please note this. He's not talking about be saved by treating all righteously. Your actions don't bring you to knowing him as his personal savior. It's faith in him. It's trusting his work on the cross as a replacement payment for you. This is the thank you offering. This is the I can't believe what you did for me. Let me lavish back upon you some of what you've shown me. Treat all righteously, even when mistreated. Question for you. Who's mistreating you? Where are you having some struggles? Spouse? Those can be some of the deepest wounds because there's the most vulnerability there, most transparency. Maybe there's a battle you're having with a kid in the family. Maybe it's an employer, an employee, somebody at work that you're bumping into that just, it's not going well. Maybe it's a neighbor and you're getting into yard wars about weeds and who's causing whose weeds in what yard and where is it? What is it? It's time to go to the treat all righteously. Lord, may I reflect your character in this world. Count on him to lift you up in due time. Count on him to lift you up in due time. You take care of the one next to you. That's the battle cry. So first, how do we handle suffering? What does a fresh faith look like? It looks like treat all righteously, even when mistreated. (laughs) Second, honor Christ fearlessly, even when suffering wrongly. Honor Christ fearlessly, not fearfully, right? Fearlessly. Honor Christ fearlessly, even when suffering wrong. All right. 
Let's jump to verse 13 here. It says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? This is what he's saying. When you have your eyes fixed on God Almighty, when you grasp that the creator of the universe is so involved in your life, any little nitpicking word or moment against you is nothing. It's nothing. So when he's asking the question, who is there to harm you? What he's really saying is, come on, with that God standing next to you, what is that problem on the other side of you? Nothing. I was reading through this this week and I thought the best analogy was in Rocky 3. When, when Rocky Balboa was fighting Mr. T, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, it's a, it's a classic. Okay. And he's going to fight Mr. T and Mr. T's hitting him and wailing on him and he's taking these punches and he's just getting brutalized and he keeps putting his arms back up and he says, puts his hand on him, he goes, ain't so bad. Remember this? Ain't so bad, bam, ain't so bad, bam. And then the bell rings and he looks at him and he goes, that ain't nothing. And he turns around and walks away. What's the whole point? I can take what's coming down because I know who my God is. I can take what's coming down because I know the plan is sovereignly managed. I need to be looking square into the face of a problem and saying, ain't so bad. That's nothing. You should meet my savior. If we start turning and looking at him and go, how dare you offend my person, right? All we've said to the world is, my God's small. I don't have a very big God. That hurt. Let me bring it back at you now. And now we get this little quibbling human to human. May your reaction say, my God's huge. That's nothing. That's where we need to be. He says, Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. There's that blessed word again, right? This is God speaking good of you. This is God giving to you. This is God lavishing upon you. God taking care of you. Let him care. The sovereign God is in charge. Let him care. It says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Fear. We've said this a number of times. You will fear something. Either you fear God or you fear man. You're going to choose to put your fears somewhere. How could I be hurt in this? What are they going to do next? What are they going to say of me? Or God, I just want to honor you. You take care of all that stuff. I don't, I want to be in a right alignment with you. Who are you fearing? God or man? He's saying here, don't fear them nor be troubled. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Honor. That means give attention, focus, priority. That means lift him up. Make sure that Christ looks like your God, not just somebody you know a little bit. Make sure that you look like a Christ follower, not just someone who's aware Of Jesus. Well, how can we do that? How can I make sure that I'm looking like I'm honoring him? Well, here's a little challenge. He said in the middle of verse 15, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. 
You want to make sure that you're ready to honor Christ? Make sure that A, you have hope. And then make sure B, you can explain that hope. Have some experiences that show how real it is. Testimony. But have some scripture that backs it up. This is the Jesus I know. This is the God impacting my life. This is where I stand. I have hope in a savior. Be able to explain your hope with all of the passion and the energy and the knowledge you can. All too often we say, I guess I'll believe that a little bit. And then we go running on. And then something comes up or somebody questions us or whatever happens. And we basically go, I have no idea. Let me go ask someone else and have them tell you what they believe. Or maybe we say, I just better go quiet. Or we have a moment, an opportunity there to honor Christ. To say, this matters to me. He matters to me. I'm going to know him. I'm going to have hope in him. And I'm going to be able to explain just a little bit about it. Two things you can need if you're going to explain your hope. Number one, you need to be able to explain why you believe in him. Why? I mean, here's what's happened in my life that led me to realizing that it's a train wreck without him. Why? Or maybe you don't have that big train wreck story. Maybe you're going, I came to Christ as a child, but let me tell you what I came to understand. The truth of, and then we share our gospel passages. The the truth of what we know of him. That that he saved us from separation from him for all eternity. That his replacement payment, his shed blood, it took up what I owed. I mean, what other perfect plan could there be? A human being owes something. God becomes man and makes a human replacement available. His perfection, unwarranted death, his shed blood for me, it's completely tied up tight. It's an explanation that makes such sense. Our God makes good sense. Explain the logic behind Christianity. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, I don't believe that. I would challenge you with this. The logic of Jesus Christ is higher than any other logic. Find the logic in him. Challenge him. I want to see how logical it is and walk through it. You're going to find that every other thing breaks down. You're weak. You fail. So try hard. How does good works get you anywhere? If you're weak and you fail and it, it, it keeps coming up short. It's about him, his works, his gift, his love, his passion. Let him work through you and in you. Jesus Christ, his plan, pure logic, and a lot of passion. Share of your hope. It says right after that, make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason that's in you. Do it meanly and offensively to defend your own turf. Is that what it says? Right? Do it gently and respectfully. Please, by all means, don't let your fear of being hurt Don't let that risk of vulnerability make you be offensive. Gently, respectfully, listen to where they're at. Hear what the struggles are. There are very real struggles that people have in this world. And you need to be able to answer them. And if we don't have an answer for them, then they shouldn't be coming to Christ. Do you hear that? If there is no answer, then why come? There's an answer. God has answers for what's going on. There are explanations for hurt and for evil, and for struggle. And 
they do require one thing for you to let go of. Oh, by the way, I need the answer to lift me up as most important. You're going to have to let go of that. It's lift him up as most important. There are answers. Listen well to where people are at. That's gently and respectfully. And then share into it. You might need to call somebody up and say, hey, that's a great question. I need to get some help on that one. Let's work it out. Let's work it out together. Work through things with people. Hear where they're at. Verse 16, having a good conscience. We always feel better when we're gentle and respectful with people, don't we? You know what I'm saying? Where you walk away and you're like, man, I'm glad I didn't cap off. It would have been nice if that had happened yesterday when we talked. John and I had a little discussion on things. And, uh, and I learned a little bit about what it means to be, to watch your tone in the midst of explanation. Words were all good. There was no big, mean, nasty. But as we worked things out, the tone I used hurt John. She just said it's her fault, so I'm done. So we're good now. <laughs> you know what? We just had an interaction that it didn't go the right way. And tone wasn't good. Watch your tone. It can be a killer. That, that's really important. Okay? Gentle and respectful, especially when you're sharing the truth of who Christ is. Verse 16, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who will revile you, and you will be reviled, those who will revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You're like, maybe put to shame? Really? Cool. When? Right? I, can I be there? And, and here's the answer. Be careful. You're beginning to make it about you again. And, and so we all want to say, get him. But, but the better answer is, Lord, may you be honored. Okay? Keep trying to let go of yourself. Now, hang on to that be put to shame thing, because we're going to handle it in point number three, and oh, are we going to handle it? It's amazing what gets said. But there will be a putting to shame, and there will be a blessing. That's basically what's being said here. Verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. It is better to suffer for doing good. Uh, I know we're in church, and so you let that phrase roll through you, and you're like, yeah, mm. But just really let it settle in. It's better for suffering for doing good. So when you go to work tomorrow and you did it completely right and the guy next to you stole something and they blame you for stealing, it's cool. It's okay to suffer for doing good. That's God's plan. I'm not saying it's wrong to discuss with them the error of their insight and it's okay to try to make things clear but be careful if it's all about vindicating your own pride you're going the wrong direction okay it says here so good for to suffer for being uh for doing good i wrote down this god's thought suffer for good that's that's tough stuff it's better than suffering for evil that's god's thought world's thought suffer for good what are you nuts I'll suffer for evil. Like if I make a mistake, punish me. But if I did it right, doggone it, treat me well. Right? That's the world's view. I get it. It, it, It's not fair. Right? There's that phrase. Every time you can say it's not fair, say, wow, hey, there's a blessing moment. That's what God's really saying. It's, It's not fair. God's getting ready to show you something big. Endure. Well, suffering for good is an amazing opportunity to see God's hand at work in your life. Promised blessing. Not a promised big car, big house, right? Keep that in mind. Okay. 
Let me just say this. We were, uh, I don't, I don't even remember how long ago it was, but my daughter was taking horseback riding lessons. My older daughter, she was probably seven or eight, something like that, somewhere in there. So it was seven years ago, thereabouts. And, uh, she was taking horseback riding lessons and, uh, she was going around the ring on the horse. And, uh, I had brought a book. I was in seminary, so I brought a book. It was actually on spiritual warfare at the time. And, uh, so I had that book with me and, uh, we were driving over there. And we heard on the radio the suffering in Korea and suffering in China and they're suffering in numerous places. And we looked at each other and we're like, we just don't suffer for the name of Jesus Christ here very much. I mean, maybe somebody goes, you believe that? And then, then they don't eat lunch with you, you know, like that's suffering for Jesus in America kind of thing, you know. And, and so we're like, we just really don't suffer that much, you know. And uh, so now we're sitting at the horseback riding stable and God's like, just hang on. So the owner comes up and has a, starts to have a conversation with John, and I don't even know what went down. I wasn't there, but uh, basically got into the discussion that I was getting ready to go into full-time ministry. And uh, the guy was less than excited to hear those pieces of information. And he starts drilling her on questions about me and what I'm thinking and why this and why that. And, and so she says, well, let me just go get him. He's here. So, so she brings me in. And I stand up and I'm like, Yes. Right? And he starts, why do you believe this? Why do you think this? Why are you believing in a God like that? Well, who says? And he just starts, I mean, and there's a lot of, like, he's bringing the heat up. And I'm answering each piece as calmly as I can. And, you know, I didn't have a Bible with me, but I was quoting some scripture pieces to him. And there was a moment where I was pretty sure that God was wanting me to lean in a little bit with him. And I just said, look, you're asking a lot of questions. Do you, do you want to, Work through this a little bit. It seems like there's something going on that's really got you riled. What is it? Would you want to talk about it? Okay. Maybe that was the right thing to say. I still think I probably would have said it, but let me just say it didn't go well after that. It kind of went like this. Get out. Get out of what? Get out of the office now. What are you here for? My kid's taking a horseback riding lesson. Get her off the horse. So he goes out, takes her off the horse. Sets her down. She starts crying. What did I do wrong? So now he's got my little kid crying. Okay, my mom is there. Don't take grandma off, right? So grandma comes over and she's like, she starts wagging a finger in his face. You should be ashamed of yourself. You know, one of those. And I'm like, mom, I got it. Go ahead. Just go out with the car. Take Megan. Like, so she goes out and I looked at him and I said, what are we saying here? And he goes, get out. Don't ever come back. I said, so let me just summarize. Because you don't like what I believe, you're kicking me out. Yeah. Dude, it's America. What are you doing? This is illegal. And he goes, literally, quote, fine. Sue me. Darwin versus God. Let's see who wins. That was his quote. And I go, well, the lesson cost 40 bucks. What do we do do with that? So he pulls a wad out of his, I mean, he must have had $1,000 cash. Flips a couple hundreds and fifties and whips them at me. It hits my chest and falls on the ground. Take whatever. I don't care. I'm going to sue you. For what? (laughs) You know? So I said, I'm not going to take the money. You can take the money. I'm not going to leave it here. I don't want you to lose it. I'm not touching it though. So I'm stepping back. We'll step out. Go out to the car. We were pretty rattled as a family, quite honestly. And we got home and we talked a little bit about it at the house. And this is what it came down to. We were ready to give an answer for the hope that was in us. He was not ready to hear it. He actually was asking because he was hoping to trip us up. And the more that we were sold out, the more he was ticked off. There are times where you might stand up for your faith and it might not go very well. 
Are you ready to honor Christ in the midst of whatever he calls you to? Fearlessly. I will stand there. I will stand for you. I will be ready to explain who you are and the impact you're having in my life because you have made a difference to me. I will not leave your side. I follow you. Are you ready to honor Christ fearlessly? Where are you being challenged a little bit? A possibility of sharing him. A possibility of hearing from him. Where might God be calling you or asking you to stand up for him? Be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you. To honor him. You might even have a blessing moment where you endure evil even though you've done good. He's saying, get ready. I've got a plan. So first, treat all righteously. Second, honor Christ fearlessly. And third, follow Christ passionately, our ultimate example. Follow Christ passionately, our ultimate example. We start in verse 18 here. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. This is the ultimate verse, by the way. If you want to explain the gospel message in one verse, here it is. 1 Peter 3.18. This is it. One simple verse. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So let's walk it through. Christ, Jesus, God in the flesh. Jesus Christ, God became man, suffered for sins. He was beaten, mocked, spit on, hung on a cross, murdered. His shed blood, and it wasn't warranted. It says the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus Christ, perfectly sinless, yet punished as the ultimate sinner. The righteous for the unrighteous. You and me, all of us, as we've gone our own way and done our own thing. As we've simply said this, yeah, it's going to be about me right now, thanks. I'm going to do a few things my way and see how it goes. You know, we're told in Romans 3.23, we've all shot an air ball, right? I've talked about that before. It's this sports term. It says we've all sinned. It actually was an archery term. It meant to come up short, miss the bullseye, miss the rings, miss everything and hit the sand in front of it. It's like our basketball term, air ball. We've all shot an air ball. We're not where God wants us to be. We've missed the mark of what he designed for us, what he intended for us. That's where we stand. And yet Christ paid the penalty for us. It says that he might bring us to God. Why do that? Why would you do that? That he might bring us to God with no compromise. He could say, ah, forget it. But then he's compromising his holiness. He could say, just leave them where they are. But then he's compromising his love. So a God who is perfectly holy and righteous, but perfectly loving, has to come up with a solution, and it's self-sacrifice. Him demanding perfection, but him being the one to give it. Him demanding payment, but him being the one to give it. That's God's plan. It's the ultimate in logic. He says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. His payment on the cross for you and for me. The ultimate gospel message. 
Somebody asks you, what do you believe about Jesus? First Peter three eighteen. That's what you believe. Okay. Now, the next couple of verses can get a little sticky, and I'm just going to move through them with extreme focus, okay? Some people really get lost in some of the details on these verses, and let's keep a focus on what it's about. So far, what's it been about? It's been about suffering for, for good and being willing to do that. It's being about God being blessing and also, remember that verse, putting to shame, right? So here we go, verse 19. In which he, Jesus, in the spirit, that's what it means in which, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Okay, so there's a who and a what going on here. The who, there's a lot of argument about. It says that there were spirits, they're in prison, that they formerly did not obey. I can tell you this, disobedient spirits, time of Noah, that's what we know. Okay. Is that men? Is that men and spirits? Is it just spirits? I personally think it's probably just spirits because of the term that was used here. It wasn't a term that's typically used for mankind. So it was probably evil spirits that were disobedient at the time of Noah. But you could convince me otherwise if you want. Right now, that's not the main point. The main point is the what. What did he do with these disobedient spirits? Remember back in verse 15, we talked about being put to shame or verse 16, right? Put to shame. So here's the put to shame. It says, verse 19, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Do you hear I read it differently? He went and proclaimed. That word is not he went and evangelized. It's not he went and shared the good news, hoping that they'd come to him. That's not what the word was. It was he went and heralded. It was a word that was typically used when a king won a war and they send the messenger back home to the city and the messenger walks into the city and says, the king has won. That's the word he's talking about. Jesus was the proclaimer. He went into the city and he simply said this. I am. I am the son of man. He's alive. I am the son of man. He, he said something probably along the lines of it is finished. You did not understand. But I am the replacement payment. It is finished. Life in me. Hope in me. I am. And at that moment, I can't imagine the shame that came upon. We're told in Philippians 2, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And we get to get just a little glimpse of what's coming just a momentary snapshot of what it's going to be like when our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, returns the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When we read this scripture, know this. This is a story of a creator king. This is a story of a God with a plan. And as he designed and things went awry, he steps in to repair. And at the end of repairing, he steps in to proclaim. Welcome to our God. Amen. Like, this is authority, man. This is what we have to hear and see in this passage. He is saying, I am. Look to me. It's finished. That's the moment that we all need to be looking for. Is our God lifted up? The moment where we can say, Jesus Christ honored and glorified. He took just a moment of that here. Here. 
as he was working with these spirits. A moment to say, let's get it straight. Let's make sure you understand who I am and what just happened. You know, right after it, he says, in the days of Noah, he's talking about this water that comes and there's eight persons that are saved through water. If you go back and you look at Genesis 7, 1, it says there were eight righteous people that he made sure got on the ark. Eight righteous people. They were living and walking with God. So he got them on the ark and then they went through this, what here is called a baptism, an element of going through water. It's a symbol of your salvation. Okay. This isn't what happened. God didn't say in the ark, he didn't go, Oh, look who showed up on the ark. Well, I guess we'll save those eight. Like that's not what happened. He had this plan of people following him, hearts beating after him. And they went through this water baptism at the time of Noah. That in mind, look at verse 21. It says, baptism, which corresponds to this, the same thing we go through now. We try to do a, a water baptism piece. What's the good of doing the water baptism? Well, it says, it, uh, it's not about the removal of dirt. It's not a bath. That's not why we do baptism. It's a symbol. It's a symbol of the fact that God is working with you. You are a child of his. And this combination of belief in him and willing to declare him publicly, that saves you. Now, I'll tell you, at the time of Christ, they made sure belief and baptism came close together. And maybe we let them get a little too far apart. It's a great opportunity to stand up and say, I'm following him now. And he's saying that combination of following hard after Christ, of righteously believing in him and walking with him, and then declaring that through baptism, it's a great moment of the symbol of your salvation. Verse 22, back to Jesus Christ. Let's make sure we end this honoring him. It says simply this, he has gone into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the father. We have a God who is in charge. He is working on your behalf and my behalf. We have Jesus Christ who knows and loves every little detail going on in your life. And he's simply saying this, follow me, follow me passionately. There is plan. There is purpose. There is hope. Follow me. I will proclaim, let me put to shame. It's not about you putting to shame. You honor the people next to you. I'll take care of that. Let me put to shame at the right time and let me bless at the right time. Follow me passionately. Treat others righteously. Honor me with all you've got. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is king. He is in charge. He is stronger than any other one we know. Who should we be afraid of? That's our hope. That's the call of first Peter chapter three. May our hearts be on fire for him because we know who he is. Let's pray.